Good evening. It's good to get to speak to you again this evening. We've been rotating, and we have a few other speakers that are going to um, speak in the next couple of weeks, but I have three more lessons that I'm going to give spread out over um, the next few weeks um, before, before Daniel arrives, and I'm excited about that. Our key text is going to be Jeremiah 29.7 like for you to get your devices out. We're going to be in actually quite a few different places this evening, but we're going to start there in Jeremiah. While you're turning there, I want to, want to get some feedback from y'all. I want to know what your habits are when you go on a trip and you stay in a hotel. All right, so here's, here's really what I'm interested in. I'm really interested to know how many of you unpack your bags and put them in the drawers. So I am a weirdo, like my wife says. Huh. I just knew. Okay, Debbie says that Tim does it, whether he's admitting it only twice. Well, that still counts, I think. I don't know. Um, I, I, I wonder how, I, and maybe for some of you, it depends on how long you're going to stay. You know, so if you're going to stay like a week, I don't know, maybe that's a little more worth it. Um, for me, like one night, I'm still unpacking my bag. I, I like, to, like to stack everything in neat stacks in the drawers where I know where it is, and I get in there first, and I take up the majority of the drawers, you know, stack like three items in each one of them, and then Brianna just puts her bag in the corner like an animal and lives out of it. And so that's kind of the difference between, between us two. There, you know, there really is something different about staying in a hotel. It's not home. We treat it different than home. I mean, think about all of the, the little things that you do different. It's not just about where your clothes are stored. I mean, how many of you turn the air conditioner down just a little bit further when someone else is paying the bill? Because I do. It's like a meat locker if I'm going to stay in a hotel, all right? Um, how many of you worry a little bit less about how long the hot water runs? Man, I take like 20-minute hot showers, and I don't even give a second thought to it because, I mean... I'm not paying for it. Well, I am. I'm paying way too much for it, but I'm going to get my money's worth. It's like eating in a buffet. You got to get your money's worth. And when you stay in a hotel, you're going to use that water. You don't worry about water. You don't worry about electricity. If you're like me, probably if you're walking down the hallway and there's a piece of trash in the corner, you probably don't stop and pick it up because it's not your job. If the yard is a little unkempt outside the landscaping, you don't worry about taking care of it because it's not yours and you won't be there long. I mean, the truth is it's a temporary living arrangement. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. I want to read verses 4 through 14. This is God talking to the um, exiles in Babylon about 70 years before um, the um, exile was going to end. Here's what we read. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you declares the Lord and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in to exile now our our key verse verse 7 we're going to expand that over three different lessons. We're going to look at different elements each time we we open to the text. You know, I think we often focus on all of the things that God promises that he will do in this passage. I mean, that's really the main reason that we know about this passage is because every graduation announcement in the world says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Y'all know that was a pet peeve of Chris's. I don't get quite as worked up about it because, I mean, I think there's probably a little bit of application there. But still, that's the, that's the reason we're drawn to this passage because of all the grand things that God reminds his people that he's going to be doing in the future. And that's so true for us. So many grand things to look forward to. So many things in the future, wonderful, glorious, heavenly realities that we as Christians um, have in our future. But the bottom line is this. We have to live in the here and now. We have our daily lives to, to think about. And so while the hope that we have in the future is important and huge, I actually think verses five through nine are really important for us to look at because it's God giving them their instruction for what this interim period for them is supposed to look like. This time before he delivers on all of these promises, how are they supposed to live in the here and now? And I think when we see how they were supposed to live, it can instruct us and teach us on how we are supposed to live in the here and now. Verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We're going to look at three different lessons. We're going to start this week by talking about how we are indeed exiles and all of the things that that means. And then in the two weeks that follow, we're going to look at how exactly an exile might pursue the welfare of the city and how an exile prays on behalf of their city. So today the big question, the, the big question that we're going to explore is, is, is this our home or are we exiles? Where is our home and what is the nature of this city or this country or this world where we have been placed during this interim period? So I mean, I, I guess you'll probably know the answer to the question, are we exiles? I mean, I very much think that we are. I think sometimes we very much feel like we don't belong here. I think there's other times that we very much feel like this is our home. We kind of live in a state of tension. We, we wrestle with our understanding of what it means to be in exile. Perhaps the best way to put it is like this. We aren't just spending the night, but it certainly isn't home. Maybe this is kind of like one of them extended stay hotels. Hey, this is one of our longer trips. Hey, this is one that some of you would unpack your bags for. 
Um, and, and so what does it look like and, and what does it mean to be in exile? I want to turn to John 17, 14 through 16. The first thing I want to point out is we are exiles by nature. In other words, we are fundamentally different fundamentally different people than those around us in this culture and this world that we live in. Here in John 17, Jesus is talking to his apostles, and or it's in the middle of the high priestly prayer that he's praying on behalf of them, and Jesus is actually talking to God on behalf of his apostles, and he says this in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is where we get the common phrase, in the world, but not of the world. And it's kind of us smashing these verses together in summary form. In other words, we may be present in this age, but we are certainly different. Have any of you who did not go to Texas A&M ever visited College Station? I think maybe that's how we're supposed to feel. That place is a cult, okay? Sorry to all you Aggies, but I have never felt more like I was a visitor in a foreign land than when you step foot on the campus of Texas A&M. Now, now if you belong there, you belong there. And, and there are some, some very distinct markings of those who belong there. But me, I, I was a fish out of water. And I think, I think that's kind of what's being communicated here by Jesus. He, he's looking at his people and he's saying, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I don't want you to take them home yet. There's a time and a place for them to be here, but, but they're not of it. You're not of it. There's something different about you. You don't belong. By nature, you are different. But it's not just our nature that we're different in. It's not just this identity that we have. We're also exiles in the way that we act, in action. The last couple of weeks, um, or I guess it was specifically last week, we ended up in 1 Peter 2 several times in the morning and the evening service. I want to read verses 9 through 12. Because you see here a, a snapshot in what it looks like to be in exile and the choices that we make and the things that we do. He starts with the the passage we looked at last week, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passings of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As sojourners and exiles, the text says, abstain from the passions of flesh. In other words, he's looking at you and saying, not only are you, are you priest, you, you don't belong here. You are traveling through. You are an exile from this place. And one of the marks of an exile is that they act differently. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. <laughs> Not according to this. He says, when you're here, you're going to still act like a Christian because that's who you are. You are a sojourner and an exile. We're also exiles in our loyalty. 
Philippians 3, verse 20 says this. Philippians 3, 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our first loyalty is to heaven. Heaven is home. That's where we know home is. That's where our citizenship is. That's where we belong. That's what we identify as. And that tells me that this is very much temporary. You know, I'm afraid that sometimes we get way too comfortable. We're trying to hold on to our unique identity while telling the world, hold on, hold on, we can be this, but we can also be like you. We're, we're not so different after all. And that's this tension that we live in, trying to beckon everyone close to us because, because we want to feel comfortable and we want to feel at home. And we're trying to, to hold on to our unique identity, but, but we stop telling the world about it. And we, we shrink back into the background. And even at times we catch ourselves participating in many of the cultural things that our society does. And, and it's not long before the world has a hard time recognizing us as even different. We've assimilated. We've lost some of our holiness, some of that which makes us unique and makes us stand out. We try to hold on to our unique identity, but we set our mind on earthly things. And it's kind of silly when you think about it. It would be like staying in an extended stay hotel and then kind of one day propping your feet up and saying, man, I kind of like this pillow. And I mean, I've kind of grown fond of this artwork that's on the wall. And I mean, did you see this nice furniture that they have set up in the mini fridge? Oh, the mini fridge is to die for. And, and, and that's kind of the attitude that we begin to develop. And it's not long before we start enjoying where we're at and we stop longing for home. And I have to tell you, church, I think that we are too easily satisfied. Too easily satisfied. Church, we are exiles. And just like Israel didn't belong in Babylon, you don't belong in Abilene, and you don't belong in Texas, and you don't belong in the United States of America. You are simply passing through on a work trip. Now, as we will see in future weeks, this doesn't mean we treat this like a disposable experience. And I think it's important for us to pause and talk about what it means to seek the welfare of the city that we're placed in and what that looks like as people who do live in this culture and in this nation and in this state and in this city. And how do we engage with it in a way that's healthy and that promotes Christian values? That's an important conversation for us to have. But the first thing that we have to understand, the first foundation that we have to have in place is a very clear understanding of the fact that we are exiles. Because if we, stop for, if we start forgetting that and we stop thinking that this is our home, then all of the rest gets enveloped in an attitude that I believe is spiritually detrimental. Israel knew where they belonged. Do you? Where is your home? I've mentioned it already. Philippians 3.20 that we read said, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is our home. In Ephesians 2.19, we read this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
Our home is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are members of the household of God. You know, Jesus, he had a, a solid grip on this, and he used kingdom language all the time. He often would speak about the kingdom of God, and he would teach his disciples what this kingdom would be like. In John eighteen thirty six, Jesus says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. In other words, Jesus says, we, we are looking to something past this. I am fighting for something bigger than this, these political entities that you see in front of them. I'm fighting for something bigger than this city or this state or this country. The kingdom of heaven is bigger than all of that. Your home, the place where you belong, is in God's household with God's people. And it's going to culminate in heaven. It's going to be a place that's ruled by God. And protected by God and it is most certainly not here not in its full form we are exiles in a foreign land waiting on the day when God's kingdom will reign supreme second Peter three thirteen says this but according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells so what are we to think about this city that we've been placed in you know, nations are ordained by God for a season, and that depends on his good and sovereign purposes, how he determines to use them, and we see that all throughout history. In other words, it may be a hotel that we're staying in. It may be temporary, but it's the hotel that God provided for you in this season. Acts 17, 26 through 27 um, Paul is preaching to the Areopagus, and he, and he says this, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. In other words, Paul says, where you are in this time, in this place, it was, it was determined by God and you, he put you here for a reason so that you would see him and you would know that he was close. And that's an easy teaching when things are great and we like the place that we're in, but that's a very difficult teaching when things are not going so well. But the bottom line is this, all throughout the history of mankind, we see that God, that is how God has, has worked and despite God's control over everything, even the nations, even Jesus delineated between what was human and what was divine. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, there's this interaction between Jesus and, and, and the leaders, and they're talking about taxes and how those should be paid. And Jesus has them bring a coin, and, and he asks whose inscription is on it. And in verse 21, they said Caesar's, and he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So we have these earthly rulers that are certainly placed in positions of authority. We must be careful, however, in understanding who they answer to. Because while we often serve under in a country where there are leaders and people in power who reject God and are opposed to him, no matter, no matter their arrogance and no matter their attitude, they always answer to God. Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. That's kind of interesting, this very passage we read in Jeremiah 29. It was delivered by a messenger. If you back up to verse 3, you'll see who he delivered it to. He actually delivered it to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. 
It says the letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and it said. So this message to the exiles was sent through this worldly leader, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was powerful, but do you remember what happened in Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar got arrogant and thought that maybe he was in charge? Let's read it real quick. Daniel 4, 28 through 33. This gives proof of how God can, can take a ruler like a, like a stream of water and turn him whichever direction he wants. In verse 28 it says, And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long as an eagle's feather, and his nails were like birds claws in other words at God's word this powerful ruler started acting like a cow because that's the God that we serve you know sometimes I'm afraid that we look out at the world around us and we feel like everything's falling apart and God's not in control but he is in Romans 13 1 Paul put it pretty bluntly we'll look at this passage more in the next couple of weeks as we unpack it But he said this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So whether things around us in this city are good or bad, whether we agree with them or disagree, this is the city where you have been placed per God's divine will, and it remains under his control even when it may feel like it is not. Church, we are exiles in an ungodly city that's being used for God's good purposes. May we never believe we belong. We are, without a doubt, away from home. But we can also live full of hope. Next week, J.D.'s going to bring us a lesson. And then the two weeks after that, we're going to unpack the rest of this passage. This week, I want to challenge you to take a close look at yourself. Have you started to assimilate Are you losing your identity? Have you unpacked your bags and started treating this like it is home? There is space to seek the welfare of the city. But we must remember, we are exiles and God's in control. If you've slipped, we want to encourage you and pray for you and support you. Maybe you need to change your citizenship. Maybe instead of being a U.S. citizen, you need to be a kingdom citizen. Maybe instead of following the democracy of cultural desires, instead of pledging your allegiance to a broken and failing system, instead of adopting the patterns of sin around us, you need to commit yourself to Christ and begin living as an exile. You will see that this does not mean that you live in a fight against the state. It means you live within it under different values with your heart and your allegiance to a different king. Perhaps all of this talk seems confusing and you're not sure. We have a lot to say about a lot of different things, and we'd love to study with you. 
This time we offer an invitation. If it's study, baptism, or prayers, come forward as we stand and sing.